Hello everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is the Bread of Life. This program is brought to you by Church Partnership Evangelism. To learn more about our reach around the world, go to cpeonline.org or traincpeonline.org. And to learn about our mission fellowship in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. We've been considering the test of a true salvation. We've noted that it's marked by a moment of spiritual awakening when you recognize your grave condition before God and you seek an answer from Him. And then comes repentance, in which your mind turns away from all the arguments you've made for yourself and accepts God's arguments against you. You're a sinner, and your sins are deserving of punishment. Then comes faith. When your mind takes up God's arguments for you, his son is sinless and his son Jesus has taken your punishment in your place so that you may be forgiven and delivered from God's judgment. Now these first three are somewhat internal processes of the heart and mind, but the next thing that happens in your salvation is you are turned, you're converted, and this is something that is seen. It is physical as well as spiritual in its phenomena. Onlookers will recognize a converted person. Oh, he's a convert. You don't hear it thrown around very much as, anymore. But this is a biblical term. What does the word mean? Well, in the Greek and the Hebrew, actually this is a word that's used all the time and for things other than speaking with the spiritual reference. And it simply means to turn, to turn back, to turn against, to turn towards. It means to turn. It's a word now that is a call not only to the mind to change, but for the whole person to turn with the mind. Now, actions must follow. I don't know, but I think it's likely that very often you'll find a man who changes his mind about a lot of things, but it takes a long time for his body to catch up. He might change his mind about the job he's in. He might change his mind about habits that he's formed in his life. He might think that these things are worthless and meaningless and not of any value in his life, but he keeps plodding along down the road of what he's doing anyhow, although his mind is changed against it. Conversion is when your body and your whole being catches up with your mind. That's what it's talking about. First, let's notice here that conversion has a negative element to it. It means a turning from something. It is to turn from yourself. First. It is to turn not only in your mind, but with your whole body, with your whole being, to turn away from yourself. Let me illustrate this for you. You remember John the Baptist came and he was preaching a message of repentance for the preparation and coming of the Messiah. And it became quite popular to go out and get John's baptism to somehow project that you were embracing this message and you wanted to be ready for the Messiah to come as well. It became so popular that spiritual leaders started to come down and they wanted to be baptized. They wanted to say, yeah, we want to be ready for the Messiah to come as well. And John the Baptist began to speak to people, even though they were engaging in this baptism, which was supposed to be a visible expression that they were repenting. And John the Baptist wasn't convinced. So John the Baptist said to them, bring forth fruit that's expressive of repentance. Basically, what he was saying is, I kind of want to see with my own eyes the evidence of what you say has gone on in your mind, this change that's taken place. Actually, go to Luke chapter 3. Let's look at verses 7 through 14. I want to see a conversion in which you really are turning away from yourself, is what he's saying. Verse 7, Then he said to the multitudes that came to be baptized by him, (laughs) brood of vipers, you snakes, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. 
Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear fruit, that's the fruit of repentance, the evidence of a changed life, is cut down and thrown to the fire. So the people say, well, what do we have to do then to show the fruit of repentance? How do we put this into action? Convert what's in our mind to the expressions of our body and demonstrate that we're turning from ourselves. He answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. He who has food, let him do likewise. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed to you. The tax collection booth that was given to the individual was a concession to make a little extra money. They paid a little fee in order to get the ability to raise taxes, but the government didn't really prosecute them for raising more than the government wanted, and they raised more than the government wanted. It was how they lived. It's how they provided for themselves, and they provided well for themselves. He says you have to stop that. You have to stop conducting yourself in which you're seeking to provide for yourself like that. Likewise, the soldiers asked, saying, What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. Stop thinking about yourself. Demonstrate that you've repented and turned from yourself. So it's a turn from the wickedness of a self-pleasing life. The second thing is, it's a turn from a life that worships idols. It's a turn from serving anything other than God. In Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, Ezekiel writes, Turn you, turn you, that's the word convert, turn you, turn you, from your evil ways, for why will you die? Ezekiel 14, 6 says this, Repent, turn away from your idols, and turn your faces away from your abominations. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, you have a passage of Scripture that is the picture of a converted man of the converted people of Thessalonica, Paul there speaks to them saying that there's been a witness that's gone out from their lives to those around them that's evident. People can see it. People can identify it. They know what's gone on in your mind, this change of mind of repentance that's taken place, this change of mind and saving faith that you've had because it's been converted into action in your life. And one of the things Paul says that the people see and testify is that you've turned from your idols. You've turned from your idols. The fact is, an idol is anything that takes the place of God in our lives. It's anything that people worship in the place of God. It can be your money, your career, your safety, your pleasure. It can be your family. It can be your country. It can be a political party. It can be your church. It's anything that usurps God's rightful place in our hearts. God's rightful place is that He should be the environment in which we live our lives entirely, completely submersed and consciously living in Him and for Him and for His glory. And anything that turns our intent and our focus and our purpose and our basis and our hopes for living away from Him is an idol that you're to repent of and turn from. Now, in this conversion, when they turned away from themselves and when they turned away from their idols, they also turned away wonderfully from the path that was leading them into destruction. Proverbs 14.12 says that there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. Matthew 7.13, the Lord Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go by it. You see, so you're turning away from endless destruction when you turn away from yourself. 
when you turn away from your idols and you turn to God. Just in the conversations I've had with Greg, who just returned from the ministry in Cambodia, working among the Benang people, spiritualist people, animist people that worship various spirits that are expressed in nature around them. He told a wonderful story. I think some of you that took the Sunday school class last week heard him share the story. A wonderful story was shared of a woman who was a pharmacist in this province in northeastern Cambodia. She was a pharmacist. She was educated, one of the few well-educated or educated individuals in this village, this community. She made a decision to give her life to Jesus Christ and receive him as her savior. Her husband found out about it that evening, I assume it was. This happened just two weeks ago and was so angry that she had made this decision. Apparently, the women in these communities aren't to make any decisions apart from their husbands. It's a very strong paternalistic society. He was incensed by it, and so he tried to murder her. In fact, he thought he had. He squeezed the life out of her, strangling her, threw her lifeless body into a bed, covered her body with blankets, thinking that she was dead, went and removed every valuable possession from the house, and fled, thinking that he was fleeing the community in the region, having murdered his wife. Five hours after this event took place, the woman shares a story of having Jesus come and sit beside her bed. How does he know what he looked like? I don't know. Jesus, the Lord, coming and sitting by her bed, reaching down and raising her up from the bed, leading her to her sister's home where she recovered. I've seen photos of her, I understand, and they they show the wounds and the bruises on her neck. Apparently she bit through her tongue when this took place. The next day, she went back with her sister to the home where she lived, and the first thing they did was they eradicated from the home every evidence, every utensil, every idol they'd used to worship the various spirit gods of that region. The god that they worship the most, or the spirit they worship the most, is the spirit of the forest and the trees. I received another report from one of the individuals that was on this last trip. I've heard, by the way, 36 people came, and another person said 33. But he shared how the individuals who gave their life to Christ started showing up at the home of the Christians in the community after they'd come to Christ, bringing with them the idols they had worshipped, bringing with them the utensils and tools they'd used as expressions of their worship of these spirits, and with the members of the church and the Christians in the community, set them on fire and they burned them. That is repentance. That is conversion. That is taking what is in the mind and putting it into the very life. and It's turning from. Not only in my mind, but converting my life and the way I live as a testament to all that are around. Well, conversion is also not simply a turning from ourselves and a turning from idols, but it also is a turning of the whole person to God and to His will. Faith follows repentance, that change of mind in which we take up God's arguments against ourselves. Faith follows repentance with picking up God's arguments for us. Faith puts its eyes and its mind upon Christ as the only answer for life and for our salvation and for our satisfaction. And conversion is the action that follows that act of faith in the mind. And now through conversion, the whole person, the heart, the soul, the strength turns in allegiance to Christ. Do you see this? My mind says, now, I believe in Christ only. I believe in His sinless perfection. I believe that He's the holy, righteous God who became sin for me. I believe He died and rose again from the grave. And if I trust in Him, He covers me with His righteousness. 
He now is the Lord of my life. I surrender myself to find all my satisfaction in Him. You intellectually say this to yourself. Your mind says this to yourself in saving faith. Now, conversion is the expression of that reality. So now that body and soul and with all of my passions and all of my desires and all of my interests and all of my being and my very posture, I say and I give witness that I am living in allegiance to Jesus Christ. Go to 1 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9 again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. For from you, Paul is writing to the Thessalonians, the word of God has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but to every place. In other words, what took place in this change of mind in repentance and faith is evidenced from their lives. People are seeing it. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we need not say anything. You're bearing witness by this conversion in your life. For they themselves declared concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, what the impact was of the gospel that we preached to you, how you, this is the language of conversion, how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Conversion is not simply turning against yourself and turning away from your idols, but it's turning into God and all of His life and all of His fullness and serving Him. Well, thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. First, go to traincpe.org, traincpe.org, to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.